In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Live. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from the wilds, the forests, the deep woods, is the lead investigator for East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, my co-host, and Ron Wade Kerrigan. Hey, Ron. Good evening. How are you? Hey, so, so you're really in the woods, aren't you? I am in the woods. I literally am. I already lost my signal once. It doesn't crap out on me again. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. But I so am. Where, I, uh, where about are you? I am in a little bitty town called Oakham, Massachusetts. And it's uh, pretty woodsy. <laughs> pretty woodsy, you know? Yeah, I guess we have that a campsite works. out there. Yeah. We have a campsite hmm. out, and uh, Terry tells me I'm not really camping, but I am. You're in, like a, you're in like a camper or something, right? Yes, we have a big, we have a 29-foot travel. So it's, uh, Do you have a shower? All comfort. Of course. A screw it, then. It's not camping. Shower, bathroom, air conditioning, heat, wi Definitely not camping. <laughs> This is camping for me. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyways, um, yeah, as you know, my, my mom passed away today. And, yeah, I know. Uh, but you know what? I, I was thinking about it just before I came on the show. First of all, you know about whether to do the show or not, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's a good thing. But anyways, uh, my mom always, always, always wanted to listen to the show. And even when I was on terrestrial radio, she could never get the signal or... You know, and she absolutely had no computer, so she, she never, ever heard the show. So I'm kind of hoping uh, that uh, she's maybe listening today. I'm sure she is. Got a front row seat. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. But anyways, uh, we have a great, great show today. We have a guy that, uh, well, ever since I started getting into the paranormal, I've always seen his name around. And he's like a legend, I believe. I don't even know if he exists, come to think of it. But, uh, <laughs> but we'll find out, I guess, in a minute. Anyways, he's, phone. He, he is a witch. He is a author. He is a teacher. He is a healer. And he is none other than the infamous, can I say infamous? 
Christopher Panzinger. Christopher, are you there? How are you? Ah, he does exist. See, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I have Hi, here a live and living radio signal. <laughs> Awesome. Christopher, it, it, it's absolutely amazing, but I was serious about that. I, I, I have always seen your name, like, when I'm dealing with the paranormal. And, of course, you know that I was never a paranormal guy until a few things happened to me. But uh, once I got involved in it, your name had always, always come up. And I've never, ever heard anything bad from you. So that's why I kind of figured you weren't existing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just a myth. You just haven't been talking to the right people. <laughs> okay. <Uh-oh. laughs> Yeah. And you are a witch, right? I am a witch. Yep, that is the but word. But you don't I live in Salem, Salem, Mass, right? I actually I grew up in the other Salem in Salem, New Hampshire. So how, been, like how bizarre is that? See, this is this is all the strange things going on with you. That's very true. That's very true. I used to describe myself as the official witch of the other Salem, but um, <laughs> I moved from there. But I still keep an office there, and we do a lot of events still in Salem, New Hampshire. But and I, I do a lot of events in Salem, Mass too. But I like to travel. I like to be out and about. Yeah, that's cool. Universally, now, Salem. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, Chris, uh, how do you weren't born uh, a witch, right? Nope. I well, I, I'm a big believer that a lot of people are witches and don't know it, and getting involved in the community helps bring that out. But I, I wasn't born into a witchcraft family or anything like that. I was, mm-hmm. I was born into a family of Catholics. Really? <laughs> wow. Yep. In fact, I know more yeah. people who have a Catholic or Jewish background who get into witchcraft. Wow. You know what's... And you're a Catholic, aren't you? Yes, I am, yeah. That's a weird thing, because I do... A lot of mediums are ex-Catholics. Are they called... Like, what do they call it? What do they call themselves? We um, cannot read something or other. Oh, my mind doesn't work today. But, uh, yeah, they're all ex-Catholics. I find it amazing how many people in the paranormal are ex-Catholics. I think that's interesting. I'm probably the only real Catholic in the paranormal community. <laughs> that's not true. Actually, I know quite a few people who are involved in, in uh, you know, working with ghosts and spirits and things that are still still Catholic, not ex-Catholics. So oh, cool. Yeah. You, you have uh, renewed my faith. In the faith. <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> I, I think Catholicism and Judaism kind of lends to ritual, so a lot of people who have psychic experiences often often come from that background. You know, you're absolutely right, Christopher. Yeah. I think if, I think if you do up a good Catholic Mass, I think it's just as magical as a, you know, a witchcraft ceremony. Just in, in fact, there's actually quite a few parallels, but just, you know, different religious context, right. but right. I think a lot's the same. And it's, it's true. There's so many rituals. I mean... I mean, and I think in every religion, you know, there's different, everybody has their own particular rituals. Right. Even so, some of the, and, the esoteric lore in Catholicism, a lot of Catholics don't know, but it's very, um, it's very mystical. Like the seven sacraments can relate to the seven planets, and uh-huh. the seven virtues right. and vices relate to that, and the chakras, and yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of magic there. I just got bombarded in the uh, Pararex uh, chat room with uh, recovering uh, Catholics. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, reformed Catholics. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's a list of them. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's interesting uh, that you, you are right. There is a huge parallel between the, the, the two. Actually, more the two than – I think there's a huge parallel – not parallel. What's the word I'm looking for? A relationship between the paranormal and, and 
Catholicism. Oh God, I can't even talk today. <laughs> uh, the Catholic religion. I mean, there there really is so much. Uh, well, you think about it. If if you think about the Holy Ghost, hey, there you go. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, anyways, uh, we kind of got into religion, which I wasn't planning on going that way, but <laughs> no worries. But, uh, you know, it, it is cool, though. I mean, the, the especially the old Catholic masses were very, very ritual. Uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, depending who you listen to, borrow one from the other, either that was borrowed from the pagans or whatever. But anyways, uh, you know, incense burning, for instance, that's a thing. Uh, the, the chanting three times is, is another thing that's uh, often used. Uh, as you mentioned before, the seven sacraments and, and so forth, uh, music, of course, and yeah, it's it's all cool stuff. Whatever whatever makes you uh, brings out the experience you're looking for, I guess. Uh, yep, absolutely. I think you know, as long as it's helping you have a relationship with spirit, however you see it, and as long as you're open to that, I think that's the important part. Yeah. Okay. So, so, Chris, so I had a question on the top of my that question with the top of my list is that. You attended 12 years of Catholic school. You came from a big Catholic family. What happened that got you into um, the paganism and, and, witch, and witchcraft and all that? I, I actually started out as a skeptic, believe it or not. Um, uh-huh. I had a, an old uh, mentor of mine um, in art, actually. She was my art teacher for years and years and years and was my first boss, giving me my first kind of real high school job and, and everything. Um, when I graduated, mm-hmm. she came from kind of the old school version of witchcraft is that you didn't tell anybody and you definitely didn't tell anybody under 18. And um, there was no wow. pagan families at that time. And there was no, you know, even the word pagan wasn't really used. It was you were either a witch or you weren't. Um, now we have all sorts of pagan social programs and groups and things like that. So it's a little bit easier to raise your kids as witches or pagans. But um, she didn't come from that era. So she waited till I was 18 and graduated from high school and she started dropping little hints here and there, and, and we have always had great discussions, so it just kind of added into our great discussion until she, she described herself as a witch. And at first I thought that was hilarious, like she'd lost her mind. Um, <laughs> and because I, I thought, who calls themselves a witch? You know, it was way before Charmed and The Craft and all the movies out there that have popularized it. It was way before you could go to a Barnes & Noble and, you know, find right. all these books on witchcraft. And the par- nobody was talking about the paranormal, you know. I mean, the closest thing we had to ghost hunters was the spiritualist church, which nobody really knew about then either. You know, so it wasn't popular. So I thought she was crazy, um, and I wanted to kind of rescue her. I wanted to, you know, bring her out of the cult, because obviously I thought she joined a cult. Little did I know I'd be one of the cult leaders 20 years later. (laughs) You know, but I I really went into it because um, the more she, I was really respected her, and I wanted to know why she could believe something silly as that. Oh, that's not a good thing. Oh, no. We have lost Dan. We've lost Dan, Okay. I'd like to lose that beeping. <laughs> well, Sorry. We'll get in back. Okay. Anyways, uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, now, uh, you've really, like I said earlier, you're really a respected name in the community. And Thank you. Uh, as, a, as I said, uh, I've always heard nothing bad about you at all. And you write you're an author as well uh, for Llewellyn, who is a, a respected uh, New Age book company, I believe. Yep. And so how did you get your point from, you know, like being a Catholic boy, being a skeptic, and all of a sudden becoming 
you know, what you are in, in the community today. I mean, a lot of people want to know that. They say, you know, uh, how do you become, you know, someone in the, the forefront of the community? So well, maybe that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, sure. It's um, I, Honestly, it was divine guidance is the only way I can describe it. It was not what I wanted to do. I didn't have any particular master plan. You know, it was not really even an ambition of mine. Um, once I learned my craft and got involved and, and um, came in to become a witch, I thought it was like a, a personal practice, and that was good for me, and I didn't really plan on telling too many people. And uh, some friends of mine noticed a big difference in my mood and my success and my overall happiness, and they wanted to know what I was doing. So I reluctantly shared with them that I, I was studying witchcraft and became a witch, and um, they wanted to know more. So over the years while I was in college, I found myself running a little once-a-month moon group um, along with uh, having my kind of first coven that was really family-oriented. My mom actually got involved in witchcraft at the same time I did. Really? Um, yeah, she thought I was funny because I was getting, you know, rescuing my friend thinking she was joining the cult, and then once I decided I wanted to join it, my mom was just like, oh, I think my son's joining a cult. But she was smart enough to know that if she forbid me to do it, she would have uh, lost me. And, you know, she's like, oh, let me check it out with you. You know, let me let uh-huh. me take classes. And then um, she liked it so much. It had all the things for her about Catholicism that she liked but it had none of the, the hierarchy or the patriarchy that she didn't like. She loved the idea that she could hold, you know, our equivalent to mass herself and do it outside, and animals were very important to her, and they had a big animal and nature component to it, and uh, she loved that being a part of her spirituality, so she became a witch. So she was part of our group, and I had a friend that was like a sister to me who was a part of the group, and, and I just kind of fell into, like, that leadership role because I, I like to design things, and I like to design rituals and spells, and, and it was fun for a while, but... I actually got my degree in music, and I wanted to be a rock star at the time. And you know, my my degree is in classical voice and uh, and music business. So I ended up working in the music industry in Boston. For are we still there? Yep. Yes, I am. Yep. I'm, okay, I heard a little noise there. Oh, I got yes. something. Thought we lost you. Yeah, you're back. Um, and I'm, so I'm back we and ended forth. up we ended up um, getting. Um, involved in the local pagan community, and I started getting messages from the goddess. And a big part of my practice as a witch is meditation, and in meditation we think it's an opportunity for the gods and spirits to speak to you. So I, I kept on getting this image of the goddess coming to me um, and saying, you need to teach more, and I kept on saying, no, 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 I don't want to teach more. And uh, when I finally agreed, um, I lost my job three days later, and I, I couldn't yeah. get a job you know, it was, the economy was great at the time, and I had, you know, good office and computer skills. I figured I'd just do that until I figured out what I wanted to do. And, you know, I'd have all these temp jobs lined up for me, and, and one by one, they all kind of went away. And um, I made a joke, that, you know, absolutely true, but it's kind of funny to look back now, thankfully, that nobody was hurt. But my last temp job, I think, was the eighth. Um, the place burned down to the ground before I, the day before I was supposed to be there. And so I was like, all right, well, this is obviously not a place where I need to be. You know, maybe I should... Start well, maybe that was a sign, uh, you know, yeah. divine sign. It was, it was a reluctant sign, but I finally got it at that point, and I put up a flyer for meditation classes and then later witchcraft classes and found myself teaching every week, and uh, the goddess wow. made a promise to me I wouldn't have to worry about money or income as long as I, you know, taught all the time, and, and I taught all the time, and I think that's because we run in some similar circles and some similar uh, shops and things where we, we teach, so... Uh, um, I ended up teaching five, six nights a week witchcraft classes. and I mean, it sounds crazy now to think about it, but that's how I made my living for quite a few years, and I, I took those experiences and wrote the books, and things kind of just snowballed from there. You know what's interesting? Now, you mentioned, uh, this is another thing that I've always been interested to. You mentioned that the goddess told you this, and, you know, that's always 
intrigued me. I mean, you know, God told me to do this, or, or Satan told me to do this, or a goddess told me. How do you get that message? Well, there's a part in, in a lot of witchcraft trainings on um, basically about opening psychic abilities to communication, to spirit travel, to spirit travel and spirit contact. So we have a set of techniques, and it's usually done in the context of a ritual. So in that ritual, there's certain um, protocols that you do for protection and to filter out harmful influences and to invoke the gods in a specific way to feel their presence so you know exactly who you're speaking to and who you're not speaking to. Um, so a lot of my own personal practice deals with what we call casting a magic circle, and um, it's kind of like our equivalent to the mass, although you can do it whenever you want to. So um, generally we tend to do it full moons, new moons, and at what we call the Sabbaths, which are the, the eight major holidays we practice. Um, and in that, you're calling in the elemental guardians of the four directions. That creates like a secure spiritual space so nothing unwanted can bleed through. And it really kind of, the, the techniques of getting into that state really kind of center you and ground you so you can um, kind of weed out your own kind of consciousness and your own fears and doubts and grandiose ideas of, of who or what you think you should be and really kind of listen to that, that deep, quiet voice. Um, and sometimes that deep, quiet voice comes through as a god or goddess. Um, if you're really into psychology, some people say, well, what's the difference between the gods and the, the spirits and the voices inside your head? You know, there's this great line by a, a fellow author that I love named Lon Milo Duquette, and uh, he always says, you know, is the question that people ask is, you know, are the gods, spirits, angels, demons, saints all real, or are they in your head? And he says, yes, um, because you just have no idea how big your head is. You know, it's the, the head, <laughs> what's inside you reflects the cosmos, and what's in the cosmos is reflected inside you. So the direction doesn't matter so much as long as the message is helpful and, and is true. Right. Wow. And it's, it, it, you know, it, I find it really interesting that even in my religion, the Catholic religion, that, you know, how God speaks to individually to different people. Uh, it, I think it is an individual thing. I, you know, I mean, this is my opinion now, uh, that he speaks individually to you and you go to a mass it, it's just like uh, what's it's like an audience almost that that uh, he knows that you're all there and you know he has that message for you individually and as a group so it, it's kind of a, a weird thing but uh, it, it's it's strange I don't know the, the more I think about it, it it just boggles my mind the whole thing about religion witchcraft or whatever I mean it, it's such a per personal thing yet it's it's not. Uh, boy, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's I go off in these tantrums. <laughs> but, I, I mean, it, it, do you think it's true that it, it is an individual thing as well as a group thing? Absolutely. I, I think there's a, there's a huge part of it being community, and I think um, and whatever culture, whatever religion you're coming from, community comes together to want to celebrate together. I mean, that's part of our our kind of collective way of how we know each other, and I think religions are really tied deeply into cultures and points of view and the ways to approach the world. But um, I think nobody else can experience what's going on inside your soul. So I think even if you're experiencing something in a community, you're going to experience something individually, and what you take away from it might be different from what somebody else takes away from it. So absolutely. Right. I mean, to, to me, I, I trust my own heart on my own feelings, what I call my own heart. And I mean, a lot of people will ask me, well, well Ron, you know, you're, you're dealing with the paranormal, you're dealing with this, you're dealing with that. Uh, do you, you know, is, that's not wrong, isn't it? Do you, do you believe it's wrong? I mean, you know, the, the church doesn't always look 
uh, fondly upon it. And I says, no, I, I know what I'm doing is correct because I can feel it in my heart. And I really believe that, that, that that's how you know things is, is if you trust your, your inner feelings. Absolutely. I think for us, we call it um, following your true will. When you're following your true will, then things line up and you know that things are right for you. Um, when you're not following your true will, then that's when you feel like you're in the most difficulty, problems, things don't feel right inside you. You know, our, our bodies don't lie. And I think um, from a witchcraft perspective, we think of the body as absolutely sacred and, and as a part of God, as a part of goddess. And uh, so when we feel something in the body, we have to listen to it. Right. Okay, so let me ask you this about, now, you know that I'm a paranormal investigator. Right. Right, and which is basically, well, I like, I use the term ghost hunter, but it's not very politically correct, but uh, I've, never, I've never been that way. <laughs> but <laughs> how do you feel about it? For instance, uh, your feelings about ghosts and spirits, uh, well, let me ask you this, is there a difference to you between a ghost and a spirit? Absolutely. Um, okay. what, what we mostly think of from a witchcraft perspective, and particularly from the traditions that I study, because I don't want to sound like I'm speaking for all witches, because, you know, if you ask 10 witches a question, you'll probably get 12 different answers. So, um, <laughs> so we're, we're very individualistic. So there's no one-size-fits-all. We have no, no pope that kind of lays down the line of this is what the religion is. But there's, you know, basic practices. Um, generally, we define ghosts as spirits that have not crossed over the veil or that are somehow earthbound where we focus on spirits as spirits that are rooted in another dimension, and ideally that other dimension is outside of time and space. So sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can give them a wiser perspective because they can see more than humans can inside a linear perspective of time and space. So we'll usually use ghosts for the term ghosts for spirits that might be haunting um, or causing difficulties or trouble or, or even um, just a presence that, that seems to be lingering where we'll use the term spirit for anything that could be from gods and goddesses. Some people consider spirits in the pagan traditions to um, spirit guides, to angels, to spirits of illness. And we actually believe there's an animating spirit in all living things. So not just that humans have souls, but a tree has a tree spirit, a rock has a rock spirit. And some of our techniques are about communicating Whoa. or exchanging energy with them. That's pretty deep for me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a, a pretty complex cosmology. <laughs> uh, rock spirits. Mm, I used to have a pet rock. Does that count? <laughs> well, if you talk to it, probably. But in reality, you talk. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're out here, uh, out here, and we camp. And I have a friend who is a witch, and we have this fire stick, and um, we've had it for like I don't even know how many years. Probably ten years. It's just like a really, um, I don't know, it's just we've always taken it with us for some reason. Mm -hmm. So she was out here at the fire with us one night, and, um, and you know, we were telling her the story of the fire stick and how we acquired it, and she, you know, just, you know, held it for a long time and, you know, was just kind of giving it energy, and I just thought that was really cool, um, you know, that that it's just a stick, but yet and yet it has energy, and obviously we hung on to it for some reason. Absolutely. You know? so it's it's like a part again. I guess it's a part of our ritual here. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, from a, from many witches, we have what's called an animist point of view. So we believe everything has an animating spirit, and a lot of what we talk about as magic is just learning to communicate with the spirits of everything. So 
you know, if you're sick, you can communicate with the spirits of the body or you can even communicate with the spirits of the illness. Or, you know, a lot of times now people call it the, the energies and they'll talk about energy, but another way to think of it is consciousness and spirit. So everything has an energy, everything has a spirit to it. And if you know how to work with it, then you can change things. When I first got into the paranormal and people would say, okay, this this uh, box has a spirit attached to it or this thing has a spirit to it, and, and i like, yeah, okay, right. But then I, I started thinking about my own religion once again, and what is a relic? Isn't a relic just an object that was touched by a saint? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That has special powers, so it would make the same thing. So, so I, I've changed my opinion on that. Another interesting story is now you were from Salem, so do you know America Stonehenge? Yes, I do actually. Mystery I, Hill. I, my parents don't live too far from there, so yeah, I go there at least once a year. Okay. So, anyways, there's a story out of there about a uh, um, one of the the employees there who used to see a rock in the parking lot turn into a little old lady and then walk across the parking lot. And uh, we, we did an investigation there one time, and I, I took a picture of this rock. And the, the weirdest thing, but there was actually a profile of an Indian on the rock. So, oh, wow. it, it, you know, any, any relationship? Probably not, but... Then again, who knows? There's also one other cool story associated with rocks and in, in, in that place as well. Uh, one day, the, the uh, employee was there, and these two little old ladies came in and put rocks in a counter, and, and she said, can I help you? She says, take these. I don't want them. And she says, well, what do you mean? She says, we were here yesterday, and I took these, and I, and I brought them home. And then uh, that night, a nine-foot Indian appeared in my uh, living room. So we don't want them. Take them back. Wow. So it, it's interesting. You know, you, you talked about uh, rock spirits. Is, is this that type of energy where we have like almost a shapeshifter type? And then, of course, the, well, I guess they would be kind of shapeshifting if, if they change from a rock to a, an Indian. Excuse me, my, I was raised as cowboys and Indians, so I yeah. call American, <laughs> American as Indians, and I don't mean any. any any disrespect. It's it's just yeah. the way I was raised. Actually, I know quite a few Native Americans who prefer being called Indians, so, you know, oh, there you, you go. go. <laughs> you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a little different. I, I, I actually have a different different kind of view on that. Um, and this okay. might be a little, little mind-blowing, a little outside of uh, what most people think. But in some traditions of witchcraft, we actually believe and teach that you don't have just one soul but every person is a unique combination of at least three energies, what we call the three souls. Um, oh, and the it's most a trinity. Basic way, yep, it's a trinity. Yeah. The most basic way you can think of it is the higher self, the middle self, and the lower self. Every All right, Chris, you're going to have to hold that thought because we actually have to take a break right now. All righty, well, we'll come back and talk about the souls. There you go. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles Live on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. 
stream. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Miller X family. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. We are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles Live with Ron Kolick and Ann Kerrigan and Toji Net Parax Ghost Channel Beyond. Uh, if anybody wants to join us here, they can certainly call in at 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, or join us live in either the Toji Net or the Parax chat room. And our very special guest today is witch, teacher, healer, author, Christopher Hanzek. Am I saying your name right, by the way? Yep, Hanzek. And y- your website is? Uh, it's just ChristopherPenzak.com, and, and Penzak is P-N-C-Z-A-K. Right. Is it Russian? Um, it's actually Polish. Oh, yeah, we're really? told by We don't really have a lot of connection to anybody back in Poland, but through a little Polish pen pal I have online, um, I'm told it means grain farmer, which... Uh, oh, oh, my God. You know, I, I was just going to say, I, I could ask my mom, but, my, of course, my mom passed away. It's, it's like, uh, she was the one that told... I am Polish, too, and she told me... Uh, uh, name means wooden peg. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there, <laughs> there you go. Farmer, so. I, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. That's, uh, I have mom issues going on at the moment, too, so yeah, I, I empathize. Yeah. So, anyways, we, we were talking a little bit uh, before the break about souls and, and the trinity of souls that we each have. Yeah, and so in, in many, and it's not just a witchcraft tradition, you find it in a lot of in, indigenous people, but you have these three souls. And, um, like the equivalent in Catholicism, if you if you become a saint, you kind of take all your three souls with you. Or in witchcraft, we call it the mighty dead, and, you know, and that and that <laughs> means you've, like you've that. reached this level of of kind of enlightenment or awareness. If you're a Buddhist, it would be like a bodhisattva. Um, but if you don't, then we believe those three souls kind of separate. Um, and then what most people, like in in general Catholicism and the general world, think of as your soul is your higher self. Um, and that goes to the upper world, just the heavens, and for those who believe in reincarnation, we believe it can descend back down again and um, experience life again. And we believe the lower soul goes into what we call the rivers or the pools of blood, and it comes back through your ancestry, so it can be passed on, and so that's why sometimes like the old um, Celts, when we think of the Celts believing in reincarnation, they didn't believe in reincarnation quite the way that we believe in reincarnation. They believed they'd be reincarnated in their tribe along their bloodline. Um, and then we have our middle soul, and we believe the middle soul usually either merges with the land as the body decomposes. Um, we believe that's actually what's most likely to be a ghost that gets left behind, that it's not really the full conscious soul, but it's kind of like 
the um, the echo, the etheric body, the astral body, which relates to the middle soul. Um, and we also believe that sometimes if you're in harmony with nature, you can that part of you can merge with the tree, can merge with the land, can merge with the rock. So I think that's probably what they were seeing when they saw somebody, you know, kind of the rock transforming. I think it was probably some native um, middle soul kind of really either in love with that place or a guardian of that place or used to live by that place, and, and they merged with that land, and now people are interacting with it. It must have been a particularly strong couple of people to to keep that much self-identity with the rock. You know, most of them hmm. just kind of, de- you know, really merge with it and, and kind of lose their individual identity. But sometimes when you feel a spirit attached to a place of land um, or an object or a home or something like that, and it's not necessarily malicious, but it just happens to be there, that's usually the middle soul. Okay. We actually have a question from the uh, Parallax chat room from Ceiling Cat. Uh, and I, I really don't, no, okay, he talks about community. Does he, has a pagan contribute to his local community as a whole, or do they accept help from pagans? I guess they're talking about pagans and witches being different. Um, well, I think pagan community, you know, both we have communities in, in you know, most major areas of the United States and tend to... Um, you know, take care of ourselves, take care of our own, but we also interact with, you know, other communities that are out there. I know our particular group is called the Temple of Witchcraft, and we have a food drive for every Sabbath, and we donate it to the local soup kitchen in the, the Manchester, New Hampshire area. That's non-denominational, but, you know, it's part of our, our, our greater New Hampshire community. It's not necessarily religious-based. Oh, okay. So I, I hopefully that answers her question. Yeah, and a lot of pagans are involved in things like environmentalism and um, a lot of really trying to back up their their own spiritual views with politics and economics and such. Like, our own temple has 12 areas of ministry, and each of the 12 areas of ministry has a way that they reach out to the greater community and then a way that they focus on the pagan and witchcraft communities. So we do a little bit of both. Okay. And You still there? I'm still here. I'm still here. Uh- Listening with bated breath, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I know, I was, just, I was just fascinated with all of this. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting, Christopher, now you, you have written a series of books, right? Which, uh, I, I, the Witch's Temple, is that what it is? I'm it's doing the, off the, the top of my head. The Temple of Witchcraft is close, yep. Oh, so close. Uh, are, these, are these like uh, how-to books? They absolutely are. In fact, almost all of my books are how-to books on whatever the topic is, but uh, the Temple of Witchcraft in particular is the textbooks I train my students with, and it's uh, the name Temple of Witchcraft is actually the organization and tradition that I've started. So um, if you're curious about us online, it's just templeofwitchcraft.org, and, um, and basically the Inner Temple of Witchcraft is the first degree book, and we have a system of five degrees based on the five elements, and um, and that's the books that have developed because I've been teaching the classes for the last, you know, 12 years or so. And there's CDs that you can get that go along with it that guide you through the meditations and uh, the rituals. And uh, they're pretty comprehensive on, on each of the different mysteries they involve. Now, if I, if I, if I decided, I mean, I just wanted, okay, I woke up this tomorrow morning and I said, I want to become a witch. Mm-hmm. I can actually go out. I thought you were one, Anne. Sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you. Love you. We see that as a compliment. Um, <laughs> all right, I will. 
So, so it's just can... a bee that we can't consider a compliment. So. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Um, so I can just go sign up for classes, you know, with you, or I mean, there's there's classes out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, witchcraft as it is today, there's a lot of different branches to it, and they each have their own kind of ideology um, and different philosophies and how you get into it. Since probably the late 70s to early 80s, there's been something that, that has become more popular and available to people called self-initiation. So somebody can really feel a calling to be a witch, educate themselves, um, and usually what they do is they take a, a year-and-a-day dedication um, and spend that year and a day really intensely training each other. And then if they, they decide after that, that year and a day that they want to be a witch, then they can do a self-initiation or self-dedication to declare themselves a witch. And um, I'm a big fan of that in the sense that I think whether you're a witch or not is between you and the gods. And if you feel the gods are calling you and the earth is calling you and, and you feel accepted and educated by that, then um, we have no central authority that will absolutely declare and, and you know, licensed witches. We have various traditions that have their own protocols and own trainings. Like if you wanted to be involved in the Temple of Witchcraft training, um, you'd have to take classes either with me or a- another qualified instructor in it. Um, and we have certain criterias, and usually the class, the first level, ends about a year. Um, and then after that year, you'd be a first-degree witch in the Temple of Witchcraft. But it doesn't mean you couldn't become a witch in something else or, or be a self-proclaimed witch. I have a lot of people who study with me um, who've been witches for probably longer than I have, but they just want to experience what I have to offer. Um, other traditions have a, a very strong lineage base. So if you wanted to be what's called a, a, like a gardenarian witch, is a very strong um, initiatory level. So you'd have to find another uh, gardenarian witch, and they'd have to agree to teach you. And there's no actual set structure. Usually it's a year and a day, but um, whenever they decide that you're ready, they'll initiate you. But until they initiate you, you're not technically a gardenarian witch. So it, it takes one to make one in that, that case. But because most modern witchcraft has no central authority, then you could be a self-proclaimed or self, self-initiated witch. So it just depends on how you want to go about it and who you want to study with. Wow. Mm. So it's a lot no, more complicated. The, <laughs> it, it is. And, and witchdom actually, if, if, the, if witchdom is even a word. Witchdom um, is a word, actually. There you go. Uh, for instance, uh, certain uh, Wiccan consider themselves witches, but uh, people like uh, Christian Day, who is not Wiccan, considers himself a, a pure witch versus a Wiccan witch. Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? That does make sense. That's um, uh, not everybody would phrase it quite that way. There's, there's <laughs> only I would. <laughs> and even as it as it evolves, there's a lot of. Um, change of terminology that can make it confusing. So what people used to say 10 years ago isn't even what they say now. And, you know, if we look back five years from now, there'll probably be different terminology. But um, generally, and even if you're in America and you're in England, they use different terminology too. But generally, Wicca today in America often refers to um, the religious practices and often refers to kind of eclectic and self-initiated practices. And the ones that we talk about of having to find somebody in that line, like Gardnerian witchcraft, is technically considered to be British traditional Wicca. Um, so British traditional Wicca is kind of like the Catholicism of witchcraft. It's the most hierarchical, um, and it's the most structured and organized. And just like you can't really declare yourself a Catholic without joining a Catholic church, you can't really declare yourself a Gardnerian without joining a Gardnerian coven. Um, but, you know, anybody who believes in Christ could technically be a Christian. Anybody who feels they're called to be a witch could technically be a witch. Um, 
and in the witchcraft traditions, there's also something called traditional craft or um, British traditional witchcraft, which is different from Wicca. And they actually believe that they have an older pedigree and their traditions are drawn from um, things that are very different from the Gardnerian Wiccans. A lot of the Gardnerian Wiccans is very ceremonial, and a lot of the people in the traditional craft movement believe they're much more folk-oriented. But usually to be involved in that, you have to have a teacher that was involved in that. So I like to describe myself as a modern witch because I'll, I'll use whatever works. So if it's something old, I'll use it. If it's something new, that I'll, I'll use it. Um, I, although I, I could be considered an eclectic witch, and I don't shy away from that, and mean that means basically just kind of taking from a lot of different places, I think of myself much more as a syncretic witch. I like to take from all these different places and synthesize it into a whole that works, which I think is really the challenge we're having right now is that there's so many practices that are witches, witchcraft right now, but they're from so many different parts of the world. I think American witches have to figure out what American witchcraft is and you know, I think we're, a lot of our stuff, we're looking to other cultures, and I think that's great because, you know, America has such a melting pot of so many cultures, but I think sometimes we forget our modern American culture and, and uh, what we're living in. You know, we're living in a time where you can have, you know, knowledge and experiences with the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the Egyptian goddesses and the Chinese gods and Native American practices and some, you know, Christian mysticism and some Jewish mysticism, and, and all that's kind of come into witchcraft. Um, I think we need to embrace that, but then figure out how to make it work as a whole. Right. You know, you know, it's really interesting because I, I kind of embrace that in my paranormal investigating. Uh, I always call myself Van Helsink because Van Helsink uh, was a, a man of science from Bram Stoker's Dracula, right. but he was also versed in the arts and the crafts. So that, that's kind of the way that I look at paranormal investigating. Okay, I, I've got my science guy. I have my degree in environmental science. You know, I, I've got that good, strong science, and I, I love the gadgets and all that, but yet... I don't poo-poo like the dowsing or, or uh, you know, uh, psychics or mediums or, or anything really that can contribute to the success of, of an investigation. So it's kind of what, what, what you've done in your own uh, beliefs as well, right? Absolutely. And I think in many ways magic was just a technology before we had technology. You know, it's I, I think... Rituals and ritual magic was a, a way of inducing trances and getting in touch with different parts of information and consciousness. And if you look all across the world, there's a lot of similarities between all these different rituals. It's almost like our bodies are hardwired to have a certain type of experience. If you drum at a certain rate, if you take a certain herbal substance, if you dance in a certain way. I mean, uh, I, I think cultures have known this all around the world. I think that's why there's so many factors that are common to all religions. And um, I think if you use it in a mystical way or a magical way, you start to have otherworldly experiences. And, you know, now we've got technology that we can measure things in terms of, you know, circuits and electromagnetic energy and, and all that. But I think, you know, people were measuring that with copper dowsing rods and hazel wands before it and, and still having good mm -hmm. success. Right. But, okay, so now if someone to buy, were to buy some of your books, what could they get out of it? Um, well, particularly the Inner Temple book, which is our first degree training, is a great overview for all things magical and metaphysical. I have a, a lot of people who take the class or get the book um, who might not go on to witchcraft, but it gives them a really good grounding in psychic self-defense and protection, psychic development, meditation, energy work, healing, um, and really being able to kind of find that, that inner sacred space. That's what the Inner Temple is, is really kind of finding that that inner soul shrine and taking solace and healing there. But you, you learn a whole battery of tests and, and 
exercises and experiences to really get yourself very versed. So um, if people decide to go on to do other healing work or mediumship or ceremonial magic or alchemy or, or whatever they may go into, you'll have a really good kind of grounding on metaphysical principles, magical principles, and how to apply them. Um, a lot of my other books deal with more operative magic. So some of them are based on healing. Some of them are based on um, a specific type of magic, like I have a book called The Witch's Coin that's all sorts of exercises and rituals and spells for prosperity, you know, which is important at this time. A lot of people are feeling the pinch with the economy, and it gets not into just the spells but your attitudes around money. Um, I have a book that's exclusively about psychic self-defense, so anybody who does ghost investigations, they might find that helpful because it's about building your psychic shields and not letting um, unwanted entities or energies kind of cross that barrier and keeping your spirit protected. Um, so those are just some of the books. Um, I've got a lot of other things that I've got a kind of a primer on just general mysticism called The, the Mystic Foundation, and uh, probably one of my favorite books is called Ascension Magic, and it tries to build a, build a bridge between the New Age practices that are, are definitely not witchcraft and try to link them with witchcraft and magic and show the similarities and highlight the differences and kind of create something that can work for both. So I, I try to educate. A lot of the New Age communities are coming from a Christian background and they're okay with um, angels and they're okay with fairies, but when they hear witchcraft, sometimes they get their hackles raised and think that's something bad because of the way they've been raised. Um, and likewise, a lot of witches will look at people who work with angels and fairies and think, oh, they're very fluffy and they don't know what they're talking about. But there's a lot of truth <laughs> on both sides. So what I want to do is kind of bring those communities together. Good job. The, uh, one of the things that always intrigued me was, now I don't know how you stand on this or what do you even believe about it, is what I call anti-magic or, or magic that you use against a person's will, and even curses are very similar. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I believe that's all very real. Um, a lot of people like to think that it's not real and, you know, we'll try to wish it away, and I don't think that's an effective <laughs> view of the world. Um, I think magic is magic, and um, I think it's all dependent upon the intention of it, so I don't even differentiate it. A lot of people describe it as white magic and black magic, and... Um, most witches don't even describe that because in the technical definitions of it, white magic isn't just good magic. White magic is any type of magic that is for your enlightenment. So if you wanted to do healing, a lot of people would say, well, you're healing somebody. Isn't that white magic? But you don't know if you're healing that person against their will. You know, is that illness trying to teach them something? Is there a higher purpose to it? So right. technically, in, in that definition, healing would be considered to be gray magic. So I think of magic a lot like electricity. You know, electricity can light up a room and you can read a book. Electricity can, you know, bring us into civilization. Electricity can electrocute somebody and kill them. I think, you know, magic is much the same way. And I think if you're not willing to do something in the physical world that um, you would do flesh and blood, hands, you know, or, or through your direct actions, you shouldn't do it magically. So um, in Modern witchcraft and Wicca, we often have the law of three, and, and it harm none, do as you will, and that whatever you do comes back to you threefold. And some people believe that's literal. Some people believe it's just a, a good kind of technically. And, and some people don't believe it. Some witches don't believe that not at all. Yep, that is true. That is true. But I think in the end for ethics, it's like, you know, if you're not willing, some people will curse somebody and want something really horrible to happen to them. Well, if you're not willing to push somebody off a building, then you shouldn't be able to do that with magic. Most people won't actually take the action to hurt somebody, but they think somehow it's okay to do it with magic. I think you're equally responsible for the actions. So 
I think your intention is the most important thing. So if you're not, not somebody who's going to do something in the physical world, that same standard of ethics should rule your magic. Now, in our ghost investigating, and sometimes we do get a lot of uh, crap for this, is that, uh, of course, Maureen is a trans medium, and uh, I kind of believe that it's not our job to, like, for instance, move spirits on or anything. Mm -hmm. We kind of, like, believe in non-interference, that unless they're interfering with the living, then we really don't get involved in that because we don't know why those spirits are there for particular reasons. They may be, you know, they may be there for a reason that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And by interfering, uh, it may bring more harm than good. I can understand that. My first rule when we're, and I don't do a lot of ghost work, but when I have done ghost work in the past, um, generally I try to establish communication with the spirit itself and ask if it wants help, assuming that it's not hurting anybody. If it's hurting somebody and somebody's called me in because of that, then that's a different story. But if the, the ghost right. is relatively benign but it wants help, um, then that's kind of like how if someone else is you know hurt and asking for help, I would I would help them out. Um, the type of magic that we do is really connected to divine source. So I feel like if I try to connect to the divine source and ask for higher guidance and I'm able to move the spirit on, then it was its time and I was in the right place at the right time to help facilitate that. Um, if a spirit doesn't want to move on, then as long as it's not hurting somebody, I don't think there's any need to have to do that. Um, I find it interesting, though, that there's some places that kind of build up on the, the tourism of, you know, having a haunted place. And, and you can sometimes tell that the spirit is, you know, in pain and, and would like to move on, but the people in the area, you know, really don't want to bring in anybody who can help the situation because they, they like that that aspect of owning a haunted house or, you know, having a historic site that's haunted. So I, I think in general it's like spirits are very much like people. If someone asks me for help, then I want to help them, and if they haven't asked for my help, then I don't interfere. Right, and, and some people even treat spirits much as a pet. Yeah, yeah, and that disturbs me a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's so much. Well, I mean, there are so many different theories of why spirits are here, and uh, we really, really, really don't know all the particulars at time. I mean, uh, let me let me ask you this. Uh, I'm kind of jumping off a little bit, but uh, do you believe in uh, what we call them demons, but negative energy? Uh, well, I have a very tribal view of it. A lot of witches won't use the word demon. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. particularly offended or afraid of the word demon, but oh, cool. um, and a lot of, of animistic views, everything has, like we talked about how everything has a spirit. Well, right. you know, a lot of us think that all these good forces have these good spirits and angels and everything, um, but there's a lot of difficulty in the world, and those have spirits that rule over them too. Every tribal culture, and if you look in Hinduism and um, in Tibetan Buddhism and things like that, they have this idea that there's spirits of malignancy, there's spirits of illness, there's spirits of misfortune, there's spirits of death, there's spirits that are not particularly predisposed well to humanity. There's, um, I don't think of them in terms of absolute evil. Um, a lot of witchcraft theology doesn't have a cosmology of absolute good or absolute evil. It's more based on life principles. Um, but I think just like there's illness in the world, there's spirits that rule illness. Just like there's accidents in the world, there's spirits that rule accidents. And um, a lot of tribal people would call them hungry ghosts, would call them demons, would call them devils, and I think sometimes you have to deal with them. I think in modern witchcraft, we tend to have a, a win-win perspective. Often if someone's plagued by a, a harmful spirit, 
there's usually a reason for it. So if it's an illness spirit, you sometimes want to talk to the, the spirit to find out why that person has that illness or why they have that misfortune or why they have that hungry ghost attached to them so you can get to the root of the problem rather than just take care of the symptoms. Hmm. And a, another branch of witchcraft, we have something called the Goetia. Um, and the Goetia is based on a, a medieval arguably Hebrew form of magic um, where they believe that just like there's 72 names of God and there's 72 angels that are, are made out of those names, there's 72 spirits that they call goetic spirits that are sometimes referred to as demons. Um, and they kind of rule our more base impulses. And there's a whole tradition that's been absorbed into some branches of witchcraft about how to summon and bind those demons so they don't inhibit your own growth and that you can actually put them to tasks that are constructive rather than destructive. Not all witches follow this, and in fact, it's a controversial point for a lot of witches. They, they think is uh, that it's a nature-based religion, so we shouldn't have anything to do with demons or Jewish magic, but you'll find mm -hmm. it in some of the older traditions. So I don't like to shy away from it. I teach my students about it. You, you know, what's interesting, too, is, is I, I think I was looking, I was at the Circles of Wisdom yesterday for my paranormal study group, and I was looking at some of your books on the shelves, and I, I thought I saw something with Reiki in it. Now, Reiki is not normally associated with the witchcraft. Um, and not traditionally with witchcraft, and the book isn't specifically on witchcraft. It's called The Magic of Reiki, um, and it talks about magic and Reiki. Um, and magic is basically, uh, I think of it as a spiritual technology, but you find it in every culture. You can find forms of Christian magic and Jewish magic and... Buddhist magic. Um, magic is really a way of changing your reality. And a lot of people involved in Reiki and, and other healing practices don't necessarily think of what they're doing as magic, but by its very definition, if they're causing change, helping people heal, then it's a type of magic. And a lot of magical practitioners get involved in Reiki. So again, and to try to build bridges, I wanted to, to write a book that really kind of brought together the magical communities and the Reiki communities and showed that they actually had a lot in common. And my friend, who is the witch, she is also she also does Reiki. Cool. Well. Yeah, a lot of witches do. So I think it was I, I get more fan mail from that book of witches saying thank you for writing a book that showed how much they had in common, or other magicians because there's there's all forms of magicians, and then a lot of people who came from more of a, a kind of lack of a better word a normal background, usually a Christian background, that said oh thank you for really opening my eyes. I didn't realize I was doing magic all this time, but. You know, then they'd come to find out they had somebody in their family that did some type of folk healing, like um, the other half of my family on my mother's side is Italian, and they would do breaking the evil eye on Christmas Eve, oh, yeah. with the oil in the oh, water yeah, and all that. Yeah. And, you know, and then yeah. realize, well, that's a type of magic, too, and that's a type of healing, and it's not Reiki, but they're continuing on this kind of whole healing tradition. And I think that's cool whenever traditions are carried on. Christopher, I hate to tell you this, but we run out of time. Oh, no. Okay, well, I've had such yeah. a good time talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I think you're awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, if once again, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do this? Um, the best ways to find me are through my website, just ChristopherPenzak.com, um, or the TempleOfWitchcraft.org, and I have a Facebook account, which I usually answer or try to. Um, so those are all good ways. And I Twitter and do MySpace and LiveJournal and all that. Um, but my website's probably the, the easiest way to get a direct message to me. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for being on the show. I'd love to have you on again, and uh, actually, I'd love to meet you someday. That would be great. I don't yeah. think we're too far from each other, so you know, maybe we'll meet up at Circles of Wisdom sometime. Oh, there you I'd go. I'd love that, too. That would, that be, would awesome. be great. Well, thank you guys thank so much. You have a wonderful night. And, and good oh, luck with your mom. You. I'll be praying for her. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Blessed be. Yep. Bye. Peace and light. Bye. Well, that was pretty cool.
That was really interesting. I think I'm going to have to go out and buy uh, buy a couple of his books. I think the books are really really cool. <laughs> uh, I know we're running out. A couple of announcements I want to. Uh, make is uh, Monday at the Wyndham Restaurant in Wyndham. We have Elizabeth Foley at, with uh, Dining with, I was going to say Dining with the Dead, but it's really Dining with the Angels. Uh, Elizabeth Foley is a angelologist. Uh, and in fact, uh, I learned uh, my Reiki practitioner under her, and uh, I'm really excited. She's going to be talking about uh, angels and also doing some readings here, so that'd be kind of cool. And that's at Dining with the Dead. Uh, and also a week from Saturday will be the Ghost Screws, which is a three-hour tour uh, with Jeremy Dontremont uh, from the uh, Friends of uh, what, uh, Portsmouth Lighthouse and myself. And we're going to have uh, Jim Stone here uh, with some EVPs on board. And this is a three-hour tour. We're going to go by... Uh, several haunted locations and talk about some of the things that happen at these locations and also bring up some stories and some uh, things so I'm really excited about it. So Ann, anything special with you? Nope, I'm just going to continue to camp and enjoy my vacation. Alright, so I guess until next week it's time to say good night and God bless all. Good night everybody. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump 